the stars and suns and galaxies to be to be born the the name that is above every name the name that if we call on we can be saved and the name at which every one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Father we praise you what a powerful name and we are here today to worship you in Jesus name amen Thank you. you. may be seated. It is so good to see you. And uh, it, uh, Fourth of July weekend. And uh, so that means, this is kind of like, and it sounds like I'm in, uh, that I'm creating wind here, and maybe it's this, so I'll try to get it working right. Fourth uh, of July weekend, it's the height of the vacation season, and so we, we have a lot of people away. But one of the privileges then is having a family in, uh, from out of town come and visit, so we welcome you today. Uh, and just a word of explanation about that, we're actually going through the book of 1 Corinthians uh, this summer. And 1 Corinthians is one of those very, very challenging books, and it has a lot of chapters that I would have skipped over if I wasn't going through it. All right, so that's another thing. And uh, uh, today we'll talk about uh, a very interesting, uh, somewhat delicate subject, but I hope that as we study the context, we'll come to see the great things that God has for all of us here. A Fourth of July uh, weekend in Sarasota means the powerboat races, right? And uh, how many of you are driving your boat this week? None? Okay. Uh, but, uh, you know, those powerboats, they're just amazing. And again, we likened our study of 1 Corinthians to kind of like being on one of those speed boats, you know. We're going really, really fast to cover 16 chapters in one week. And today, I'm actually going to read the whole chapter because what God has to say is a lot more important than what I have to say. So I hope you'll understand that as well. So we're going to jump right into 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And one of the things we want to talk about today is the fact that there are so many people who are unhappy in the world. Now, would you agree with that? That there are a lot of unhappy people? Okay, I don't see any here, but there are a lot of unhappy people in the world. And, you know, another observation I had is that for so many of them, a lot of that has to do with marriage. <laughs> about if they're married or if they're not married. There are single people who are unhappy because they're not married. There are married people who are unhappy because they are. There are divorced people who are sure they'd be happier if they'd never gotten married at all. I uh, heard of the lady who went to the marriage counselor and she said, you know, I thought I had found the ideal, but I found out it was an ordeal. <laughs> and now I'd like to make a new deal. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, again, uh, Paul's going to address some very uh, unusual uh, topics, and I'll explain the reason for that. But he's going to discuss, what, is it better to be single or married? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's all about marriage, it's all about singleness. Now, if you just picked up uh, the Bible and started reading at 1 Corinthians 7 without any explanation of the context, understanding why Paul said or wrote what he did in that chapter, you'd probably be like, why is he talking? What's that got to do? So to understand 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I want to just mention four things that's really, really important for you to know. And the first one is the first phrase of 1 Corinthians 7. 
Now for the matters you wrote about. That's very important. See, the Corinthians, the, the Christians in Corinth, which was the church he founded, they had written Paul a letter asking him several questions, a lot of questions, about marriage and about sexuality. Okay, so he's answering questions. We don't have the questions. Number two, the Christians in Corinth, they were not born in a culture like you were. Even if you weren't born in a Christian home, you knew about Christianity. You knew about Jesus. You knew some things about the Bible. You lived in a culture where there was a Judeo-Christian ethic, all right? The people he's writing to had never heard about Jesus until they were adults. And Paul came and shared with them. Now, many of them, if probably most of them, were already married before they heard about Jesus, before they became Christ followers. And here's an additional problem. Many of their spouses did not. They became Christ followers. Their spouses did not. Number three, we've talked about this. Sexual immorality was just rampant in the city of Korah. It was a seaport city. It was filled with sailors on leave that were headed for the brothels. And to make matters worse, the fourth thing, that's where the temple of Aphrodite was, the goddess of sexuality, the goddess of fertility. Okay? They had a thousand priestesses. They were just prostitutes is what they were. And you see, with all that sexual immorality in that city, that's what they were raised in. That's what their city was steeped in. That was the culture. Because of all that, some of them who came to know Jesus then decided or concluded, well, you know what? All forms of sexual activity must be sinful because that's the only thing they ever saw. See, they had many, many questions of Paul about sexuality and about marriage. They asked, and this is really important, they asked some of the most important questions in the world because they affect so many people in so many ways. A lot of the questions they asked are unasked questions. People don't have somebody to go to to ask them. But here's really important. The question, these are questions that all of us should ask God. But most of us never do. Why should we ask God? He created sex. He created us. He created gender. He created sexuality. He created marriage. Friends, your, your friends didn't do that. Hollywood didn't do that. The Supreme Court didn't do that. God did. <laughs> That's why we go to him. So we're going to go through. I kind of see that they asked about eight questions that he answered here in this chapter, and we're just going to go through those quickly. We're just really kind of, again, skim the surface. You have to compare what Paul says and what he answers with everything that Scripture uh, does. Uh, and so there's a lot more digging to do, but we're going to talk about these eight questions. And the first question they asked Paul was, isn't sex sinful? Because that was the only kind of sex they saw in their city. 
Isn't sex sinful? And so in chapter 7, verse 1, Paul answers their very first question this way. It is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Whoa. That sounds like all sex is sinful. That's not the full answer. <laughs> he didn't stop there, did he? He went on in verse 2. But since sexual immorality is occurring, since it's rampant in the city you live in, each man should have sexual relations with his wife, with his own wife, and each woman with her own husband. Now, wait a minute, that changes it then. So, see, the answer is no, sex is not sinful if, if it's in the context of marriage, if it's between husband and wife. In fact, sex is one of God's wedding gifts to the bride and groom. He wants the bride and groom to open it and to enjoy it. Verse 2, each man should have sexual relations with his wife and each woman with her own husband. That's not a sin. But 7.1 is telling us that outside of that protective boundary that God placed, it is something so intimate. It is something so life-changing. It is something so delicate. It is something with the power of such destruction that that's why God put it in that context. It's not a sin between husband and wife outside. Now, when I say that, and, and maybe some of you here today, you're thinking, oh, Ron, that's just, that's just out of date. I mean, that's just old-fashioned, what you're saying. Well, friend, I'm not saying it. God is. And, and don't do what I say. I hope you're going to do what God says. God gives the gift of sex to those who give themselves to each other for better, for worse, in sickness and health, as long as they both shall live. In verses 3 to 5, God gives us here three of the reasons that he created this gift for husband and wife. There are many, but there's three here. Let's read verses 3 to 5. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife. And likewise, the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but he yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. There are three reasons there. Very, very quickly. Why did God give this gift to husband and wife? Number one, it's the intimacy they need for a lifetime of love. Is marriage a challenge for a lifetime? Well, they need, they need a bond. They need intimacy in that relationship. Number two, it's to help each other become more selfless instead of being selfish. You see, we all have a, a selfish nature. I mean, it, we're, we, we can't feel somebody else's feelings. We only feel our own. I mean, we are uh, uh, confined that way. God wants us to get outside of ourselves to think of others. 
And the third one is to help each spouse overcome any temptations they might have to be immoral. And those are just three reasons. That's the first question. Number two, I got to hurry. Uh, how do I know what's best for me sexually? <laughs> Ask 10 people, how many answers will you get? 10. Okay, because everybody's got an opinion. How do I know the truth? What's best for me? If you have a car that's made by General Motors, do you use a Ford manual to keep it running? No, of course not. Friend, are you following the manufacturer's manual? The one who made you? God gave you that, that manual. <laughs> Because he doesn't want us to suffer the consequences of abusing this wonderful but dangerous gift. So I'm just going to ask you, who are you going to believe about what's best, what's right or wrong with regard to marriage and sexuality? Are you going to believe the movies or TV or Hollywood or Washington or your friends? Or are you going to believe your creator? Question number three. Should I get married or remain single? Let's read, starting in verse 6. I say this as a concession, not a command. Paul writes, I wish that all of you were as I am, single. That's what he's saying. But. But each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that gift. Paul wished everyone was single like him. I don't. And what if everybody was single? What if all Christians said, oh, we're going to be all, we're all going to be single? There'd be no more Christians. <laughs> There'd be no more human race if we were all single. Why did Paul wish everyone was single like me? Because, see, that allowed him to serve the Lord without any other obligations or responsibilities to a wife and to children. And, and he goes on. He goes on right away to say, each of us have a gift from God to be either married or to be single. So the answer to the question, should I get, should I get married or be single, is what's God's will for you? What's God's gift for you? See, being married is a gift, if that's God's plan. Being single is a gift, if that's God's plan. What's best? And what's best for you is God's will for you. Each one has his own gift. He goes on, to, uh, verse 8, to the unmarried, to the widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. And I want you to notice something in this chapter, verse 8 and other places. It's very interesting that Paul goes back and forth between I say and God says. All right? And why? Because when we read the Gospels, this was not, Jesus did not address this topic. And, and neither do the, does the rest of Scripture. These are specifics. We're getting down to some narrow specifics here. So Paul, verses 8 and 9, is giving his personal opinion based on all of God's Word. But I want you to notice that in verse 10, 
he says, now I'm going back to God's commands, things that are specifically given for us. And in verse 10, he says, to the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. Paul laying down God's principle from the very beginning that he created a man and a woman. He brings them together. He wants them to be married. He wants them to commit themselves to a lifetime of love with each other. Okay, Paul reminded the Corinthians of the Lord's commands because they, they'd asked another question, I think. Question number four. Uh, this, I think, is maybe the, was their main question. What if I become a Christ follower and my mate doesn't? Verse 12. To the rest, I say this. I, not the Lord. Again, God didn't give a specific command about this. So he's saying, now I think I understand all of God's word about marriage. So this, is, this would be my answer. If a brother has a wife who's not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who's not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified or set apart in a special way through his wife. And the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called you to live in peace. How do you know, wife, wife married to an unbelieving husband, whether you, God will use you to save your husband? How do you know, husband, whether you will save the life of your wife? You see, since they became Christians after they were already married, they began thinking that God must want them to get out of that relationship. But God said, no. If the non-Christian is willing to stay in the marriage with you, then is probably the only Christian in that family. You've been given an opportunity to demonstrate the love and acceptance and forgiveness of Christ to your spouse. This will probably be the greatest testimony that that person will ever see, and it may lead them to accept Christ as their Savior and Lord because of what they see in you. Don't leave your non-Christian spouse in order to be a better Christian. <laughs> Let God use you in that situation. And then, of course, he goes on to say, but, of course, if, if, the non, if the unbeliever leaves, you have to let them go. You don't have a choice. If you've done all you can to heal the marriage, but the other person leaves you, then you're freed, you know, from your vows, from your commitment to that marriage as well. Question number five. But what if I want to change? What if I have to do this for me? A few years ago, a, a lady announced to us that she was divorcing her husband. She was raised in a Christian home. Her husband was raised in a Christian home. They were both Christians. They had been married several years. Their children had 
accepted Jesus at a young age. And we went to her and said, why in the world would you do what God is telling you not to do? And I'll never forget. She said, well, I know what the Bible says, but I have to do this for me. Disobeying God is not going to be good for me. Never will. And so that's why in verse 17, Paul writes, Nevertheless, each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them just as God called them. And this is the, this is the rule I lay down in churches. You know, he started a lot of churches. He gave them counsel and, and advice. And this was the rule. Was a man already circumcised when he was called? This, of course, was an issue in of uh, Jewish believers in that day. Were, were they circumcised when they were called? He should not be uncircumcised. Was a man uncircumcised when he became a Christian? He should not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing. Keeping God's commands. That's what counts. Each person should remain in the situation in which they were, God called them. Were you a slave? There were, there were slaves, or people who were uh, slaves in the Roman Empire at this time, and they became a Christian. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you. Although, if you can gain your freedom, do so. For the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Listen, Rome may not have set you free, but Jesus did. He set you free from sin. You were bought with a price. So now don't do something to become a slave of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. Now, let's try to give a little explanation of that. Paul is saying, listen, and again, the whole context or issue and their questions are about being married or being single, about whether I should divorce someone or not. Paul is saying, if you're in an unhappy marriage, you better be very, very careful. You may want to get out of your situation, be it marriage or whatever it might be, you may want to get out of your situation so badly that you'll do what? Disobey God. And if you disobey God to get out of a bad situation, it'll make it even worse. Serve the Lord in the situation you're in. Ask God to change it. But let him change your situation in his time and according to his will. Don't step outside of his will thinking that you can make yourself happy. And he uses these two illustrations here. Circumcision, which of course is not an issue for us as believers. Slavery, which is, praise God, <laughs> slavery has been abolished in our country and we celebrate that. But he uses those two life situations that they were facing. But, friend, those words, they apply to our situation, too. It doesn't make any difference whether or not you're single or married or divorced, whether you're happily employed or unhappily employed or unemployed, whether you're healthy or sick or rich or poor or whatever. Verse 19, the important thing, he says, is to keep God's commandments in your situation. You'll be tempted to disobey God to get out of an unpleasant situation. You'll think the grass is greener 
if you changed it. You think you'll be able to serve God more effectively if somehow your situation changed. Friend, God wants you to learn to serve him today where you are. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. God is going to help you. God is going to use you in the life situation you're in. Question number six. And this is, he's writing to the single people who'd asked this question, won't I be happier if I get married? I do not like being single. I'll, I'll, I'll be happier if I'm married, won't I, God? Verse 25, now regarding your question about the young women who are not yet married, I did, do not have a command from the Lord for them. Again, Jesus didn't address that specifically. But the Lord, Paul writes, in his mercy has given me wisdom. Wisdom that can be trusted. I'm going to share it with you. Because of the present crisis, what's that? We'll talk about it. I think it's best for you to remain as you are. If you have a wife, do not seek to end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not seek to get married. But if you do get married, it's not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. I just told you, you know, stay in your situation. But I'm not telling you it's a sin if you do that. However, in your situation, Corinthians, he's saying, those who get married at this time will have troubles. And I'm trying to spare you those problems. What's the present crisis? What's the troubles that were coming to the Corinthian Christians of persecution. God had revealed to them that there was going to be a persecution. He was already starting to suffer that himself as an, an apostle, and he knew that the Christians in Corinth, it, it, would hap, it would happen to them too. And he's saying to them this, listen, if you're married, if you have children, it's going to be even harder for you. So I'm just letting you know. I'm just letting you know. There's a persecution coming because of the present crisis and situation and circumstances. You may not want to do that. Question number seven. Who's more spiritual? People who are single? People who are married? People who take a, a vow of uh, celibacy? Uh, people who don't? I mean, are, you know, I mean, is, is it more spiritual to do that or isn't it? This is his answer. Let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is very short. So from now on, those with wives should not focus only on their own marriage. Those who weep or who rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed by their weeping or their joy or their possessions. Those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them. For the world as we know it will soon pass away. What's he saying? He's saying, you know, you're so focused and consumed with the world around you and what's going on. Because that's the only thing we can see. That's just normal for us, okay? We get so focused on that. We think that's the ultimate reality. And Paul's saying it's not. Because one day, this world as we know it will soon pass away. Uh, the believers in that day, Paul included, they felt that the Lord was going to come back any day. Many of the apostles felt that believed Jesus was going to return before they died. 
believers in the first century believed that Jesus was coming back within a few years. Well, we know that's not true. But here's the reality. For Paul, in his life, it soon would be over. Within a few short years, he would be dead. Within a few short years, all the people that he was writing to would be dead, and it would be over. And the world as they knew it would no longer be the, have the attachment that it did. And so he's saying, verse 32, I want you to be free from the concerns, the demands, the obligations that just consume you in this life. And marriage can be like that. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him. But a married man has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. And so his interests are d divided. In the same way, a woman who's no longer married or has never been married can be devoted to the Lord and holy in body and in spirit. But, but a married woman has to think about her earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband and, 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 and children. I'm saying this for your benefit, he said, not to place restrictions on you. No, there is no command, get married, don't get married. Being single is more holy or, or less holy than being married. No. I want you, he says, to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. You live in a world that bombards you with distractions. I meet with a men's group. On Thursday, we were talking about the fact that from the second we wake up in the morning to the time we go to bed at night, we just listed all the distractions that we will have during the course of the day. We're bombarded with them. Friend, we can be totally consumed with things that we think are very, very important. But a hundred years from now, they will have absolutely no meaning at all. And we don't want our life to revolve around and be consumed by things that are only temporal because there are things that are eternal. And that's hard for us. It's hard for us to stay focused on the Lord, the Lord we can't see, and so we get focused and consumed by the things we can see. But God's word is clear that wise people put their focus on eternal things. Wise people put their focus on the Lord, not on the world. Uh, God wants us to wise up, to make decisions and live lives that are based on the fact that we're eternal beings, not earthlings. That we will live forever and not 78.8 years on this earth. God tells us to keep of Hebrews chapter 12, keep your eyes where? On Jesus, who began and finished the race we're in. He came and lived the kind of life that we live here on earth. We look at him. We, we see what he did. We listen to what he told us to do. He's the, he began and finished the race we're in. We focus on him. Colossians 3. You have been raised to life with Christ. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God is going to raise Christ followers from the dead. 
That's the ultimate reality. That's what we live for. That's the eternal life forever and ever. And not just this earthly life of 70 or 80 years. So set your heart on what is in heaven where Christ rules at God's right hand. He's the king. Think about what is up there and not only what is here on earth. Live for him. Share his love with others. Lead others to him. That's what matters. That's what counts forever and ever. And question number eight. Aren't I better off to get divorced if I'm not happy? Verse 39. Paul writes this. Based on the principles of God's word starting from Genesis, the second chapter all the way through to the end. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she's free to marry anyone she wishes, but only if he loves the Lord. But in my opinion, it would be better for her to stay single, and I think I'm giving you counsel from God's Spirit when I say this. Am I better off to get divorced if I'm not happy? Uh, that's not what God is saying. You made that commitment. You made those vows. You entered into that relationship. Keep them with God's help. Do everything that you can. Okay, you may not have a choice. They may leave you. Uh, you're not uh, free and under obligation in that situation. But friend, you're not going to be happier committing an act of disobedience. You look to the Lord. You ask him to give you the strength and enabling that you need. You ask him to work out his perfect will in your life. That is the counsel of God to us. And see, friends, these, these principles, these, these laws of love for God, they're so hard for us to understand. When we're in a bad situation we don't want that bad situation to continue we want to get out and when that's the situation we're tempted to do what God would not want us to do whether it's marriage or whether it's a, um, a relationship of, uh, with someone else or a church situation or whatever it might be there's a lot of situations like that and that's the bottom line verse, verse 35 I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. God had Paul write 1 Corinthians to the believers there in Corinth. They had all these questions uh, about marriage, about singleness, uh, about uh, the uh, their situation in their culture in the midst of a city that was steeped in immorality. But friend, God didn't have Paul write 1 Corinthians just for them. He had, it, he had Paul write that for you and for me too. Because we need to understand the counsel of God. We need to understand that he's the one that created us. He's the one that created 
made us male and female. He is the one that created marriage, that a husband and wife come together and commit themselves to a lifetime of love and intimacy for as long as they live. That's his idea. He's the one who created our sexuality. And if we think that we're going to have more freedom and more happiness by stepping outside of the counsel of God's word, we need to wake up and realize how foolish. God is asking us to be wise. And so in these, all these questions, all these issues, we just scratch the surface. I, I encourage you to read over this chapter. I encourage you to read Ephesians chapter 5. I encourage you to read Genesis chapter 2. The other passages in the Bible that God talks about marriage and singleness because he says a lot because it's so important. I encourage you to go to the sermon discussion groups today as, as they work through some of these things because we have questions, don't we? Specific situations that, that we're facing. Do God's will. That's what best, is best for you. Wise up. Ask God what gift he's given you. We have people here today that God gave them the gift of singleness. We have people here today, God gave them the gift of marriage. They're both gifts from God. One's not more spiritual than other, but one is right for you. One is right for me. Ask God what gift he's given you. Be what God enables you to be to serve the Lord most effectively. That's the most important thing you can do with your life. And be what's best, not just for this life, but for the life to come but for the life to come, because we are eternal beings. God created us for an eternal relationship with us. God sent his son to die on the cross to forgive our sins so they could all be forgiven, and we could go to a perfect place, a holy place, the kingdom of God in his heaven forever and ever. He made that all possible because he loves us so much, and he has given us uh, privileges and gifts here to enjoy on earth, but we dare not abuse them and violate the laws of God without suffering the consequences of those. God loves us. God loves us. He wants us with him forever and ever. Would you bow with me, please? Father, I love your word. It does not skip over or gloss over difficult things. You, give us, you gave us your word. It is the manufacturer's manual. You gave us laws of love, not to take away our joy, but to give us more joy. Not to put us in bondage, but to make us free. Free from the consequences of rebellion against you. And God, this matter of marriage and singleness... And your call and your gift to each one of us, it is so important because it truly affects our life probably more than any other aspect of life here on earth. And God, we need your help. For those of us who are married, God, would you help us to be godly husbands and godly wives who obey your word, who become more selfless instead of being selfish. For those of us who are single, dear Father, thank you that uh, when, you, when you give that gift and that call, it's a gift from you. And it's going to make our life better. And we're going to be able to serve the Lord to the optimum if that's your will for us, God.
And so, Lord, these difficult, delicate issues, I pray that we would not seek and follow the counsel of ungodly people. God, help us to do your will, your perfect will. Because, God, you gave us our life. You made us male or female. You called us to be single or married. If we're married, you gave us a mate to do life together with. If we are single, Lord, you give extra enabling to do things that people with family obligations cannot do. Lord, it's all in your perfect will. And so help us to live out your will in our lives. And Father, we will thank you. And dear Lord, this is all possible because you're perfect. Because there is absolutely no imperfection in you. You are holy. You have never made a mistake. You never will. All the problems in this world, one day, dear Father, you are going to work out for good. You are going to right every wrong. You are going to undo every justice. Because you are perfect. Because you are holy. You always have been. You always will be. And dear Lord, you want us to experience the joy of you being perfect. Of living in a kingdom that you rule over forever and ever. And there are no problems. There is no evil. There, are, there is no heartbreak. There is no disease. There are no deaths. Because you are holy. And so God, we want to worship you. We want to realize that you're sovereign, almighty, holy one. And live according to your holy will for each of our lives. And we thank you. And friends, while your heads bow, God created you. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place. God wants you in his heaven. And there's one way to get there. By following his son through those gates of heaven. By accepting, by, by admitting that you're a sinner, because we all are. When you admit you're a sinner, you're saying, I need a Savior. And that Savior is Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, who died on the cross for our sins and was raised. And God demonstrated that God had accepted that gift. There's one way to be saved. Accept Jesus Christ as your Savior and follow him as your Lord, doing his will until he comes back for his own. Father, we praise you that you are perfect, that you are holy, and we want to worship you. As we close here today, dear Father, we want to go praising you for how great and how awesome you are. And Lord, we want to live out your will for our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?